0: As a listener to this podcast, you might often fantasise about your ideal cabinet, who you'd have as Prime Minister, Foreign Secretary, Chancellor or Home Secretary. But have you ever had that thought, but with beer? Thanks to our friends at Beer52, you can create your own cabinet of beers. You get a free case of eight craft beers, and all you have to do is cover the postage of £5.95. So go to beer52.com slash party. That's the word beer, the numbers five and two, com slash party and get your free case of eight beers. And you can arrange them however you like. You can create a cabinet, or depending on your political leanings, a shadow cabinet, or just leave them in the cabinet. And of course, the joy of a Beer 52 monthly subscription is that you can have a reshuffle every month, which would still make it more stable than most of the governments we have in the UK. It comes with a magazine and a snack, and if you don't like dark beer, you can choose the light option. You can pause or cancel at any time. So if you want to bring some stability, and you don't fancy a reshuffle, you can indeed lead by example. Go to beer52.com slash party and pay £5.95 postage to get all this now. Hello and welcome to the Political Party. Today's guest is Monica Lennon who's standing to be the new leader of the Scottish Labour Party. Monica got a lot of headlines uh, just a few months ago because her period poverty bill uh, became law in Scotland, meaning that Scotland has become the first country in the world to provide free and universal access to period products and it's got a lot of attention in Scotland, in the UK but around the globe and we talk about that and it's a remarkable personal achievement of hers because as you all know Scottish Labour are not in charge uh, in Scotland. So Getting a bill like that through a parliament from opposition is really a huge personal achievement. And we talk about that, about why that campaign... Meant so much to Monica. Why she took it up? How she took it up? How she convinced the SNP, the governing party in Scotland, to to back the bill, and the help that she got from the Scottish Conservatives as well. And if you have watched her opening speech at the uh, start of that proceedings, uh, at start of those proceedings in the uh, Scottish Parliament, you'd have seen her pay tribute to Jackson Carla, and she talks about that here. So it's a really great story of a, a, how to build a cross-party consensus uh, and how you can still affect change um from opposition so it's a it's a great story it's a really um inspirational tale of how you can work across political divides often sometimes the the sharpest of political divides not just party political but the constitutional questions and you can build these coalitions to to change the world for the better so we talk about that um there's also um I, i did wonder whether to bring it up and i addressed this in the interview but we talk about um Drug and alcohol issues in in Scotland and and why they're close to, to Monica's heart and you, you you'll hear why and we talk about the Labour leadership election where Scottish Labour stands on the constitution where it should stand um Scottish you know the future of Scottish Labour the future of Scotland as you know as we talk with uh, as I talk with with all Scottish guests about the constitutional question but particularly with Scottish Labour guests the paralysis that the party has felt since that referendum in 2014 is really striking. Um, and many people think it underpins the tailspin the party's been in and doesn't really feel like it knows where it should stand on the question. So we talk about that. We talk about the leadership cam- uh, campaign itself. Uh, and on the campaign, uh, I began by asking Monica why she'd gone for her slogan, which is Monica Lennon, a clear vision for a fairer Scotland, and not plumped for Lennon, imagine. Imagine.
1: enough time to be clever than quirky. The Labour Party decided on a Saturday morning that we had to put our names in by midnight the next day. So there wasn't a lot of time to, to think up slogans. Uh, but I think as the campaign has gone on, I've, I've got the message across and reaching out to people to imagine what a better, fairer Scotland could look like. So um, try a, a few songs along the way too. <laughs>
0: Because we're in mean, the internet era now, memes go viral. You know, by the millisecond. Have there been any Monica Lennon, John Lennon things that you've seen?
1: No, I think there's been a few references to Neil Lennon, who's the manager of Celtic <laughs> Football Club. For now, Angeles, a good thing right now. So <laughs> I'm trying to keep out of the football chat, but I think there's someone set up a. Is it like a fan page on Twitter? Um. And the last time I checked, I had almost a 1,000 followers. I'm starting to worry it might get more followers than my actual Twitter account, so i <laughs> need to watch out for that. So I take my dog off Instagram because my dog was becoming more popular than me, so...
0: Well, dogs are popular. I mean, uh, until Scottish Labour changes the rules and allows... Dogs to stand. Um, it's uh, it's it's two humans in the race at the moment. You and Anna Sawa. Um A lot of people will already know you. You had a huge success at the end of last year, and obviously people in Scotland know you. But I meant for a, a UK and more a global audience for your amazing campaign on period poverty. Scotland is now, thanks to you, the first country in the world to provide free and universal access to period products. It was a huge deal and a real personal achievement for you. Obviously, people know that the SNP has run Scotland for a long time now. As a as a Labour MSP, to change the Scottish government's opinion on that was, was just such a big deal for you. So just talk us through it. I mean, the We'll start at the start. Uh, Well, I'll tell you what, I'll I'll start with this question. The Scottish Government, the SNP, had initially resisted your bill, then they got on board with it. How did you change their mind?
1: Well, thanks, Matt, for starting on a really positive uh, note, because it's a big achievement, not just for me as a Member of the Parliament, but for the party and for all those hundreds of people people, probably more than that, thousands of campaigners played a part in some way. So this began back in 2016 when I was first elected to the Scottish Parliament and I asked the Scottish Government a couple of questions about the affordability and accessibility of period products and at that time the SNP Minister who replied said oh, we're not aware of any particular issues. We don't really feel that period stigma is a big issue in Scotland, but anyone who's struggling um, can get some help from food banks. And it just struck me that that was a terrible, terrible answer um, for any government minister to say that, you know, if there's a problem, we should just direct people to food banks. So that was really the start of it for me within the parliament. But before that, people in their own communities had been starting to be more aware that people were... Struggling to afford the products and we're donating them to local food banks and shelters, but there was no dignity in that. And if you're having your periods, um it's not always practical to say, right, I better nip out, you know, get on a bus and go to a food bank. If you need the products now, you need to have them in your house, they need to be accessible. So that was really the start of it in Parliament. Um, I then went out into the community is speaking to teachers and they told me they were seeing it becoming more of an issue in the classroom. Um, and we know that because child poverty sadly has been increasing. So teachers were having to hand out um spare pads and products to, to their, their, their students. Um, and we was just hearing more and more about it. So we've just built up a campaign. Um, we went out to speak to colleges, universities, local councils. And I think what helped to get the SNP on board, because initially they were saying this is because of austerity and it's because of Westminster and there's nothing we can do about it. We're it's I would terrible, never but... have
0: guessed that that would have been their first line of an argument.
1: And it was. And I was like really taken aback. And I was like, come on. So I went to my local college East Kilbride and the principal who's now retired but um, a man and he said I've heard you talking about this in parliament I've heard you talking about period poverty he says and you're absolutely right says, and we've got students who are really struggling financially they struggle with their well-being and we want to, to promote this so they decided that they would rip out all the vending machines that you have to find the right coin for and refree be free to buy the products and then it just snowballed from there. Um, at another university, Dundee, were the first to say, we're going to do it. And my colleague, Councillor Joe Cullinan, who leads North Asia Council, also said, we'll just go ahead and do it. So we had these early adopters who said, actually, we don't need powers from Westminster. We don't need permission from the Scottish Parliament. This is the right thing to do. It's about making pads and tampons as accessible as toilet roll. So we had those early pioneers who were willing to do it and then the SNP had to get on board Matt they couldn't just sit back and sit in their hands so that led to a pilot scheme where the Scottish government put some money into Aberdeen because they kept saying we need evidence so we had government saying oh we're not sure if we believe that period poverty really is a thing and now no one questions it. People just say, look, like, this is wrong, sort it out. So it built up at a grassroots level and I, I continue to raise it in Parliament every opportunity, developing the legislation, which was a, a, a steep learning curve for me, but building support across the Parliament and getting cross-party support from the Tories, which people thought was incredible. You know, the, the Tories agreeing to free universal access to anything, but to agree to free universal access to period products, was um, quite a surprise. And the SNP were the last to come on board. Their argument was that legislation wasn't required. It was premature. They wanted to do more evaluation of the pilot schemes. And they did raise concerns about people perhaps coming over the border from England and taking our free tampons. But that was ridiculed. And I think the SNP were quite embarrassed in the end by that. Ian Murray raised it in the House of Commons for me. Um, So we've kind of been on a, a journey. But when it got to last year and we were at stage one, there was agreement on the general principles. But then the pandemic hit and I said to the Scottish government, we can't drop the ball on this because poverty will increase in the pandemic. And we really need to do this. And fair play to the SNP cabinet secretary, Aileen Campbell, we both agreed that we just had to work together to get it done. So I'm delighted. It's now an act of parliament and I am delighted.
0: So it's always interesting to hear, particularly how um, politicians from parties that aren't in government are able to change the law and and for for such important things. So when you're trying to get the SNP on board, did you go direct to Nicola Sturgeon and, and talk to her about it?
1: I raised it in the parliament, so I've raised it at First Minister's Questions and in other questions to Nicola Sturgeon, but we've never had a meeting to discuss it. Um, I don't have that kind of relationship with Nicola Sturgeon, but I did speak to, to other ministers and, and cabinet secretaries. Actually, what I think was the real game changer was the the grassroots within the SNP. So you'll notice, Matt, that you know, over a number of years, but certainly in very recent years, lots of people who traditionally would have been voting for Labour or members of the Labour Party have turned to the SNP. So there's lots of people in the SNP who believe that the SNP is the best party in Scotland to um, achieve progressive change, to make Scotland more bearish. So if you believe strongly in social justice, unfortunately, we've got lots of young people who think that only the SNP can deliver that in Scotland. Now, lots of people in the SNP supported the bill and supported the campaign. But they were becoming more and more frustrated. There was a disconnect between them at a grassroots level and SNP ministers who were appearing more and more out of touch. So there was a bit of a rebellion within the SNP, which you don't see very often. And they organised an open letter that went in the, the National, I think it was actually the Sunday National, um, which is a bit of a cheerleader for the SNP and for independence as you probably know um, but that was really powerful and that was at a grassroots level but also respected figures in the SNP like Kevin Pringle who's a former advisor to both Alex Salmond and Nicola Sturgeon who still writes a, a column in the, um, the Sunday Times he goes his column to say this is good legislation and the SNP should be supporting it, the Scottish government should support it. So it was really good. I mean, I kind of joke about it um, because people think, oh, Scotland, you're so divided. But, you know, we had Jackson Carlow, who was a Tory leader, backing it enthusiastically, and Janie Godley, a comedian who is very pro-independence and close to the SNP, and they were kind of on the same page. And I think that shows what you can do in politics, is bringing people together to actually deliver practical change, not just to go in and deliver fancy speeches and have the best sound bites, roll up your sleeves and get the work done.
0: And what does it actually mean then? How will um, these free sanitary products be made freely available? You talk about universities and things, but a lot of the people most affected by this won't be at university. They're people on low incomes by definition because they can't afford it. So, And particularly during COVID. So is there a kind of postal service for stuff like this?
1: Yeah, all of that's covered. So when I was drafting the bill, obviously we didn't know about COVID, but I was trying to do it in a way that would be you know it would future proof the legislation so that it could be really adaptable to different parts of scotland we've got very remote areas as you know and to think about what people might need in the future and how they'd want to access it so in terms of implementing the bill um the key partner in all of this is, is local government so local authorities are mandated to deliver a scheme locally but it might look a little bit different in the highlands to what it looks like in glasgow or in Lanarkshire. Um, there was a lot of debate at the time during committee when I said that you know council should have the the option to include a postal service and MSPs didn't like that they thought it would be too expensive but of course now we're all stuck in the house and people can't get out and public buildings are closed so that's come into play a lot more on the education side of it um, thankfully the Scottish government did roll this out and they put money behind it so we already have free um, universal access within schools, colleges and universities, but during lockdown, especially when the students went back uh, in August and September and many had to self-isolate, what was really good was to see on social media, on um, college and uni websites, was the um, scheme being promoted and people being told if you need products delivered will bring them to you if you're self-isolating or you can't afford them. So it's become pretty mainstream, but the bill was essentially two parts, making sure that everyone in education has access, but wherever you live in Scotland, if you need the products, if you're a woman or a girl or a, a person who menstruates, that you can access them in your own area. And the government are working with a social enterprise company right now to roll out an app because it's really important people know where they can get the products in their own area. But this is such a, a simple piece of legislation I and mean, it's been talked about, as has been groundbreaking and bold and radical and world-leading, and I suppose it is those things, but at the end of the day, it's about putting pads and tampons into toilets and public buildings and making them available for anyone who needs them.
0: And what about private buildings, you know, pubs and restaurants and things like that? I mean, have you... Have there been any discussions with the private sector that, you know, people might be able to get a tampon or a sanitary towel in a library or citizens' advice or a job centre or wherever, but if you're, you know, out and about and it, and it happens, you might not be in a library, you might not be in a, a kind of an arm of the state. Do you get the sense that the private sector is willing to play its role as well?
1: I think the private sector have embraced the, the whole campaign. The bill wasn't able to mandate private buildings, and there's a lot more that I would have like to pursue but because employment law issues are reserved I wasn't able to tackle that in the bill but what we've tried to do is have a piece of legislation that delivers what we want to achieve but also have a campaign that then affects culture change so tackles that stigma around periods and um, make sure it's not going to be this embarrassing topic and I've worked with grassroots organisations like On The Ball who are a fantastic um, football fan based organisation so they lobbied their own club Celtic um, as it happens and now there's over 100 football clubs across the UK and in other parts of the world who now uh, provide free products we didn't have to legislate for that when I launched the members bill consultation um, I took it to Glasgow airport and at that time the chief executive was a woman and I reached out to say like I've got this vision about I want to show that Scotland's a really welcoming progressive dynamic country and if we launch the bill at the airport you know that's a great idea because people are arriving in scotland whether they're coming back home or they're coming on business or coming on holiday they're like this is great we haven't seen this before um so it was really great to partner with glasgow airport um train stations um maybe it wasn't a- as friendly i had to maybe name and shame but network rail um who operate edinburgh Waverley. And Glasgow Queen Street Station, it was a bit of a nightmare to even get into their toilets. You have to find 30 or 40 pence, I think it was, to get through the barrier. Then you get in and they were charging three pounds um, to use the vending machine. And it was only uh, tampons that were available. Um, didn't have pads. So again, for cultural and health reasons, lots of reasons why people need to have a choice of product. Um, we actually had a vending machine that had sex toys in it and tampons and it was like, come on, you know, who, who put this machine together? So again, I, I wrote to them politely to say, you might know about the campaign and look at all the other businesses that are getting involved. But I got a reply back from a, a senior man thanking me for the letter, but offering to do nothing. So I went back and took a picture of the vending machine and spoke to a newspaper to say, this is what we're up against. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that 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 then changed. But mostly it's been positive. People have been wanting to do it voluntarily. So um, it's hard to map progress during lockdown because the pubs are shut and so on. But increasingly you see um, free products in gyms and pubs, um, sort of like spas and beauty salons. And usually I saying please help yourself, which I think is great.
0: Well, it's such a massive change, and it got a huge amount of coverage in Scotland, a huge amount of coverage across the UK. Was it a global story as well then? Did you find yourself being interviewed by NBC and Australian News and things like that?
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, Scotland is, is the first country uh, in the world to pass legislation to end period poverty, but, you know, I'm really optimistic we're not going to be the last. The, the interest around the world has been fantastic, and that was even before... The bill was was passed. So yeah, I had a, a, a busy couple of weeks doing um, media at funny hours, um, doing you know New Zealand breakfast TV, been on the radio in, in Canada. And I remember looking up this journalist in, in Canada who was interviewing me and he pinned his, his Twitter feed from a couple of days earlier that you'd interviewed Barack Obama and I thought oh my goodness like you know um, am not used to moving in, in these kind of circles but people have just been so receptive to it and I was working with some politicians in, in Ireland from the Labour Party and uh, Rebecca Moynihan who's a senator in Ireland she's just lodged her bill and she's very open by saying this is basically Monica's bill and we're just No, put our own flag on it so that's great if we've spent the last goodness like four years or so doing all the hard work I don't want everyone in their own country to have to start from scratch so you know we've been really open me and my team and parliament have got fantastic staff and we've just been sharing our learning as we go Um, and it's great it's great that it's given women and girls confidence around the world to to ask this to, to not just sit back and wait for gender equality to happen but to actually be active in their own communities and I think that's great.
0: You might not be used to being put in the same uh, bracket as Barack Obama but it might be, have to be something you get used to if you become leader of Scottish Labour who knows what then might happen you might become first minister of Scotland Prime Minister of the UK, you know, who knows what, what, how the trajectory opens up for you. It, whatever happens in this Labour leadership contest is a rising star of Scottish and UK politics. Um, just on Scottish Labour, it's another Scottish Labour leadership contest of quite a few leaders in relatively recent years. Jim Murphy, Kezia Dugdale, Richard Leonard, and there will now be someone else. Um, why why has Scottish Labour changed their leaders so often?
1: Oh, well, Scottish (laughs) Labour.
0: (laughs) I realise that's another 60 million dollar
1: question. (laughs) Well, you know, I love the Labour Party. I love being part of the Scottish Labour family. But like everyone in the party, I'm sick and tired of losing. Um, Not just because, you know, you you, you take a dent in terms of your own sort of reputation, but... I know, we know the difference that Labour governments can make to millions of people. We can transform people's lives. But if you look at our entire history, we've just not been in government often enough. And I think we have to draw a line in the sand and say, this has to change. You know, we're not a protest party. We're not just there to sign people's petitions and to be out marching the streets. We need to be a party of government and you know myself and my other colleagues are only 23 of us in the Scottish Parliament on the Labour benches we have achieved an awful lot in the last few years you know you've talked about my members bill and I'm really proud of that we've got other achievements too but that's not enough that is not enough and you know I, I can't bear the idea that the SNP will get another another term they've had 14 years 14 wasted years where, like we talked about at the start, where they say, ah, but only if we had the powers and it's someone else's fault. They never take full responsibility. And I just can't bear that. One of the the issues that I've been so passionate about in my time in Parliament, and and before I was in politics, is around addiction and drug and alcohol-related harm. And in Scotland, we now have not just the worst drug death rate in the UK, but in Europe and possibly the world. It's it's hard week to week to compare statistics, but for me, it's about human beings. This is about lives that have been lost. And these deaths are preventable. And the SNP have sat back and allowed it to get worse. Drug deaths in Scotland have doubled in the last decade, and it's a national scandal. That was the big public health emergency in Scotland before COVID came along. And the SNP cut budgets, they cut funding for lifeline alcohol and drug services in the community that meant that people were in longer waiting lists it meant people were turned away it meant families had nowhere to go and we lost rehab beds at a time when we need more rehab beds so these are the issues that have been gripping Scotland and um, and I'm so frustrated that we've not been able to do more um, and Scottish Labour can only do so much on the sidelines so that's why I'm standing because we have an opportunity now to say that Scottish Labour has to get its act together. We have to change. And I feel that I can bring a new generation of leadership to the table.
0: Just on drug and alcohol addiction issues, and and particularly in Scotland, and people might be aware, Scotland has had historic issues with with drug and alcohol abuse. And it's something that you know about very well, um, having lost your father to to alcohol. I mean, obviously that gives you a real personal insight into the debate I mean, I feel bad almost. You know, I feel bad for raising it, but it's something that you mentioned, and I think it's fair that people know that this is something that you've been through. But it must be so difficult for you as a politician to, you know, you, you can talk from a really informed perspective, but you're still a human being. It must, you know, this debate must must mean so much to you. It must be really hard for you sometimes to talk about this without getting emotional.
1: Yeah, I get emotional all the time. I'll try not to do it now. Um, but you know, it's maybe not a bad thing. I think. So much of the way the, the way that we conduct politics, the way that politicians speak sometimes, what happens on social media, it can be very dehumanising. And I think we need to bring a bit of humanity back to how we do politics. Um, I try to work on a cross party basis on these issues. Um, I'll be really honest about it. The Scottish Labour Manifesto of 2016, the one that I stood on and got elected on, didn't say an awful lot about drug and alcohol issues. Um, Why not? And that frustrated me. Well, I think, with well, Scottish Labour Party just like society, you know, when there's stigma in society, it exists within political parties too. And I think we got ourselves into a mess in the last parliament over um, minimum unit pricing. And, you know, we, we, we didn't particularly like that policy. Um, So I think there was issues about that. I think on drugs, you know, at at times, I don't know about that manifesto, I wasn't involved in writing it, but when I've been raising issues in recent years, you know, I've seen colleagues almost grimace and say, oh, it sounds like you're being a bit soft. And, you know, people see that the the, the criminal aspects of drugs and, you know, we need to be careful. But to me, this is a public health issue. You know, addiction and substance issues can affect any family from any backgrounds um but disproportionately it falls on those poorest communities and it's rooted in trauma it's rooted in early childhood trauma and then if you become addicted that perpetuates trauma and you just you're in that that cycle um to me it's it's a hugely political issue but it's personal to me I mean my dad um died in 2015 that was a year before I became an MSP and that's something that that gives me a lot of pain to this day because my dad loved politics. He would be loving all of this. Uh, and he was so passionate about, about the Labour Party and standing up for, for working class people. Um, so he never got to see me become an MSP. So I'm really, I'm really sad about that. Um, but he's with me every day. Um, and when I hear people who come to me as constituents who need help them and their families I suppose what I can bring to them is is understanding and empathy they don't need to tell me everything because I know how they're feeling I know what they're afraid of I know the guilt that they're feeling so I think it's important in politics you know we can't all come with the same life story that would be boring but I think it's good to have people that that can understand different lived experiences now I want our parliament and our politics to be more diverse so that you know it's not you know, a big deal that someone says, oh, yeah, addiction was part of my family, you know, because it's part of many, many families. But again, it's like period poverty. Who was talking about that? That term did not exist. Um, but if you talk about the issue, identify the problem, work out what needs to be done, what is the remedy, then we can start to deal with some of these issues that are holding people back.
0: Generationally, then, is it fair to say that you're you're quite unusual? You're, you're, um, you're a young Scottish woman, the polling tells us now that that people in your demographic are, are moving towards a, a more pro-independence position than they, they might have been seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. Um, oh, it sounds like your dad had a huge influence on you politically. But what made you Labour, you know, as a young radical woman growing up in Scotland, why Labour and not the SNP or the Lib Dems or the Greens?
1: So, like many people of my age, and I'm 40, I'm giving my age away here, just turned 40 um, last month. Well, I wasn't month, going to mention like, that. <laughs> happy
0: birthday, yeah. The <laughs> happy 40th. Political well, life you're begins listening can't see it, but it's,
1: written, it's written all over my face. Um, but, you know, I grew up in a, a working class area, a small town, a former mining town called Blantyre in, in, in Lanarkshire. Um, my parents came from very ordinary working class backgrounds everybody in our area voted Labour you know you know we didn't know anything else um in fact it's funny my auntie sent me a photograph because I turned 40 and we couldn't all see each other family we're digging out photos you know, having a laugh at me um, but there's a picture of me as a wee girl looks like I'm around 40 years old and holding my mum's hand it's in the public park in Blantyre. and my auntie said to me that was a fundraiser for the Labour Party, and I'm like, what? Like wow. in public? Like seriously? <laughs> in a public place with the whole community involved? <laughs> it's like there was like a fun a fun run, and um, one of my uncles was involved in it, and I was like, whoa, that is like that is like a lifetime ago. Um, you know, we don't do our fundraising in public uh, anymore, but that just shows you that Labour was the community that was in the DNA of people where, where I lived. Um and even in in 2015, oh good so many elections, let me get this right. In 2015
0: <laughs> Well that's 2015. in Scotland you get everything because you get more referendums and you get Holyrood elections oh, as well on top of local it, governments.
1: We have something every year so you do lose track but in 2015 when we lost, you know, the tsunami hit and we lost like 40 MPs. But the area where I live, which is Rutherglen, Hamilton West constituency, Tom Greytrex, who was our MP from 2010, to 2015, he had a majority of over 20,000 and he was wiped out, gone. So that's the kind of community where I live, where everybody was voting Labour. Um, but I remember standing in the, at the election count after the referendum in 2014. And I remember doing the sample for um, one of the ballot boxes in, in Blantyre where I lived. It was for the primary school that I attended when my family traditionally went to vote. And when that box was getting emptied, the vast majority of people were voting for independence. And that was like a, a stomach punch to me. I thought, what what's happened here? Am I completely out of touch with the people that I grew up with? people in my own family, like, I did not see this coming. Now, we did win the referendum in terms of the the no side to remain in in the UK and and I'm pleased about that and I'm relieved, but we were not listening to what people were telling us before the referendum and after the referendum and I fear that we're still not listening. So that's why I've said, it's such a basic thing, Matt, but I said, we need to actively listen to people and I think I read over the weekend uh, a, a piece by Aisha Hazarika, who's a, a, a former Labour advisor. I'm sure you know Aisha well. She's a good friend um, of mine. She's, she's great, and but she made a lot of said. She didn't you know, pick a, a, a candidate. She didn't have a favourite or anything like that. But she was basically saying the constitution is the elephant in the room and Scottish Labour needs to address that. And Blair McDougall from the the Better Together campaign, he was also interviewed in recent days and he said, you know, the people who need to make the case for the union and for reform within the union need to be organising at a grassroots level. It can't just be a top-down campaign where you wheel out a big name, a big hitter at a grassroots level. So to go back to your question about the younger generation and people who are under 45, people who are 15, 16, who are going to be voting for the first time, um, many of them are turning into the SNP and are at least curious about independence and that's where we need to change the conversation and start to, to engage with those people in a much more respectful way and stop commentating on the lives of working class people and telling them how bad everything will be if they vote a certain way. It's actually been in communities and having the conversation in a much more open way. And that's what I'm prepared to do. Not to be softer independence. I don't believe in that. I don't want a referendum. But we can't just sit back and leave it to the SNP and the pro-Indy sides and the Tories and the hardline unionist sides to frame the debate. Scottish Labour will just disappear in that conversation.
0: That seems to have been a problem that Scottish Labour have had since the referendum in 2014, that the no side won by a decent majority. So you're on the winning side, you effectively win the war and then lose the peace. Um, and it seems to be particularly that the Labour Party's had this sort of emotional reaction to the result because even though it was a decent ma- result, as you say, in Labour communities, they were voting for independence and that, and then the 2015 election result put Labour in Scotland into a sort of tailspin where it felt like their own they were totally out of touch with their own voters on one really big issue. Uh The other problem seems to have been, and I guess you've hinted at it there, is that Scottish Labour and the Labour Party at a UK level haven't really made a positive case for the UK at all and don't seem to know how to sell the UK (laughs) whilst still putting themselves in an ideologically different camp to Boris Johnson. It doesn't seem to me that hard to say the UK is more than whoever the Prime Minister of the day is. The UK is this... Uh, union of nations our closest allies our closest neighbours we have so much in common it really shouldn't be that hard a case to make so why has Scottish Labour struggled is it because you think deep down some people in Scottish Labour might actually agree with some of what the SNP say
1: well there are a range of views across the party I mean I think when you look at our parliamentarians um, there's probably more cohesion around Taking a, a hardline view, we just have to defend the position at all costs. Don't give the SNP an inch. But I think that is partly that emotional reaction you've hinted at, where when you lose a lot of elections, you start to feel quite bitter and insecure and angry, and you're angry at your opponents, and in this case, mostly at the SNP. But I think that starts to to people's judgment. So what I find much more interesting is to get out of the holiday bubble and to talk to party members um, who have stuck with us, um, the people who pound the streets when that's allowed, people in the trade union movement, um, but more importantly, ordinary voters who are not political geeks like us, people like us who are on these podcasts, who listen to these podcasts, live and breathe politics. That is not the average person Far from it, people just want competent politicians who go away and do the job um, and treat them with respect, but they don't want to be day-to-day involved in making the big decisions in the country. But I think that there is a positive case to be made for the union the same way there was a hugely positive case to be made for the European Union. But we need to learn the lessons from Brexit and what I don't want to do it's for Scottish Labour to say this is too awkward and uncomfortable and leave it to the Tories and the SNP. We left it to the Tories to lead on Brexit and I think we need to learn from that that quickly. I, well I'm Scottish Labour's health and social care spokesperson, so I don't need to get lectures from anyone about how serious the pandemic is and how um, urgent it is to try and deal with Covid and eliminate the virus and try and rebuild the country. And to do that in a way um, that isn't about just taking us back to life before the virus, but to build our country back in a way that's more equitable. That's what I'm passionate about. But I'm hearing colleagues say, oh, we can't possibly talk about a referendum. We need to talk about COVID recovery. I think most people in the country want to get beyond COVID, but for some of them, they have big questions about Scotland's future in the UK what is Scotland's relationship with the the UK and with the European Union and they don't want to be told that's too difficult you can talk about it in five years time or I think some of the Tories have said 50 years time would be right and proper for the next referendum so and I think there's just something about people in Scotland when they hear that kind of patter they're like who are you to tell me what we can't talk about so you know I want to approach this um as a Democrat, and to say, you know, and I have said that I believe that at the end of the day it should be for people in Scotland to decide. I don't think that's too radical, but some people in the party have difficulty with that and feel more comfortable with a Prime Minister deciding, but, you know, Scottish Labour shouldn't be hiding behind Boris Johnson or having the same rhetoric as him or hiding behind any Prime Minister. This should be a matter for the people of Scotland. Um, I believe in Scotland's right to self-determination, I don't want independence, but I don't want arrogance and pride to get in the way of a decent, proper debate. And like I said, we need to show people the gap between SNP rhetoric and record, so we hold them to account. We talk about what we could do here in Scotland right now, but where there's an argument for more powers coming to Scotland, I will make that argument. Drugs being one, the missions of Drugs Act... 1971 it's 50 years old it's even older than me and it's failed it's failed people across the country in every part of the UK the current government doesn't want to change it I'm not sure that Keir Starmer wants to change it but I know plenty of people in Scotland who want to change it they gave evidence to the House of Commons Scottish Affairs Committee when we had MPs from Scotland on that committee they contributed and they went to other parts of the world including Canada I think Daniel Rowley and others went to maybe Portugal and Holland. But that report is sitting in a drawer somewhere. Um, Boris Johnson and his ministers are not interested. But that was about how we treat this like a public health issue. Decriminalisation has to be part of that. That's what I've fought for within the Scottish Labour Party. So when we do have a manifesto for this election, it will be better than the one we had in 2016. So we can have these debates without falling out. Um, about it and it's not about conceding to the the SNP um, because I'm not convinced that the SNP would use those powers properly but we should have the powers and then we need Parliament hopefully hopefully a Labour government that's what I want to work towards but we could have we need to have the powers in Scotland and then we can have the debate about whether we're using them properly
0: I get that Boris Johnson isn't a natural ally for progressives in any corner of the UK let alone Scotland but if you agree with him on a particular issue, you know, we'd all like politics to be a bit more mature. I know that it's Boris Johnson. I know that he's a Tory and I know that he's based in Westminster. But on the principle that Scotland only had a referendum a handful of years ago, that leading members of the Yes campaign said was either once in a generation or once in a lifetime. And given the context of Covid, if you agree with Boris Johnson when he says now not the time, what's wrong with just saying on this particular point, I agree with him?
1: There's nothing wrong with agreeing with people in other parties, I, I think I do that probably more than most people in, in Scottish Labour and then you get treated with suspicion because, you know, we're so factional and, um, you know, I work on a number of different cross-party groups, I lead them and I work with colleagues across the, the spectrum and, you know, if it wasn't for the support of the Tories for the Period Products Bill, we might not have the good story that we're, we're telling today. Um, I do agree um, not just with Boris Johnson, but I think with the majority of people, that this is not the right time to have a referendum. And I think it's irresponsible if certain figures in the SNP are suggesting that we could have one in 2021. Absolutely no way. I mean, today we're looking at figures for the vaccine rollout. Scotland has fallen behind. England, that's not acceptable. You know, our schools are still locked down. I'm homeschooling um, you hear my daughter and my dog in the background. So, you know, this is what life is like right now. We cannot have a referendum in these circumstances. The election is due to happen in May. There's question marks around that, whether that can happen. Do you think it should that happen
0: time. in May, by the way? Do you think the election should happen in May?
1: If it's safe to do so, um, there's been concerns raised from the front line, from local government workers who have to plan and run the election. I know that Unison have raised those concerns and just have big doubts about the public, public safety aspect of it. I don't think it should be for politicians to decide without seeing all the evidence, but I think that Ken McIntosh, who is the presiding officer of the Scottish Parliament, um, will have a, a big decision to make, but I know that he wants to make that um, alongside the other parties. There needs to be consensus, but here we are in February, Young people are not in school, most people are working at home, um, it's not going to be safe to knock on people's doors. So it's difficult to tell, but on the point about the time of a referendum, um, I agree with Boris Johnson, this is not the right time. I don't even believe that Nicola Sturgeon thinks it's the right time, but I think there's so much pressure from within her party. The SNP um, seems to be falling out Um all over the place at the moment, which, again, it's a bit rich for me to see that in Scottish Labour because we're the world champions in that. But right now on social media and the news, there's a lot of noise about what's happening in the SNP. I think today Joanna Cherry has left the front bench. So they've got their own issues. But what we have to do is act in the national interest. And it's not in the national interest to have a referendum on anything right now.
0: But some people might say, um, we you know, we voted no in 2014, um, and yes, we returned the SNP with decent majorities and in decent numbers because they to us seem to be the most uh, competent party. Scottish Labour has had its own issues. There's only so well the Conservatives are ever going to do in Scotland, maybe. Um, and all those SNP victories are seen as support for independence when they, they might not actually be. Isn't there a danger that we kind of misread? these opinion polls and these election results and the referendum wasn't that long ago it was a clear result for no and Scottish Labour's position should be you said it was once in a lifetime we're going to hold you to that promise and and allowing a nationalist government to rehold a referendum which they were trying to do without brexit anyway and would find any excuse it doesn't particularly when you know you The danger is, if you look at the polling, is yes, there has been now however many polls showing a a majority of various degrees of of width or or slimness in favour of yes when pressed. But when the Scottish people are asked to list their priorities, independence is actually way down. So there's not this huge appetite in Scotland for a referendum. This is a, a political party with one sole aim, using the levers of all the power it possibly has to try and get that aim on the ballot paper. The Labour Party defends the UK should do everything in its power to stop that manipulation happening if that is indeed their position
1: yeah so my priority is to stop an an SNP majority because that would be bad for Scotland we have huge inequalities in Scotland that's getting worse under the SNP they're failing to act to tackle child poverty they published their draft budget last week they announced a uh, council tax freeze which will you know, um, help middle earners, it's costing £90 million, that money could have been put towards increasing the Scottish child payment which would have lifted children out of poverty that's what Scottish Labour would want to do, they also cut the, the housing budget and Shelter Scotland and others have furiously responded to that so you know that's not, I don't think that's attractive to, to voters um, so the SNP They've had 14 years and they haven't lived up to their promises. They, they told people, we're going to give you a legal right to get treatment on the NHS within 12 weeks. They've broke that promise hundreds of thousands of times. So the SNP's record is there for everyone to, to look at. But we have to understand, well, why are people still voting for them? Um, you know, we can't just wait for the SNP to all fall apart. Um, you know, Nicola Sturgeon, is popular with a lot of people in the country because she's seen as being a strong leader, an effective communicator and people haven't had that impression from Scottish Labour for a long time. You know, we've been quite timid, we've sat on the fence of a lot of issues, so what I'm not going to do is is repeat the slogans from other parties. I think they went about once a generation, I think it was actually Alex Salmond that said that I'm not going to parrot lines from the past. We need to be a political party for the post-14 world. Scottish Labour needs to be fit for the 2020s. Um, And we need to show that we're not just politicians coming off a production line that parrot out the same old soundbites. We have to show that we do get a wee bit emotional sometimes, but we don't have the perfect lines for a TV interview. But we need to show that we care people just think that we stopped caring, that we didn't care about them, that we cared more about ourselves and jostling for position within the Labour Party. There's no future for Labour in that, and it's doing damage to the country. So we need to leave that in the past. And that's why my campaign, um, I'm really pleased, is has is, is been driven from the grassroots, because these are the people who in a way of hanging on to Labour, waiting to see are we going to get an act together. It's working with young workers in trade unions. And again, I've said to colleagues, you know, we always talk about the trade union movement. But again, the majority of people in work are not in trade unions. Many of them can't even afford to join a trade union. So I want to be a political party that's not just talking to ourselves, but is rooted in our communities once again. And I think there's a way back for Scottish Labour, there really is. Luxury quality within reach. Go to com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. com slash
0: style. It's been a difficult few years for Scottish Labour. Richard Leonard is the latest leader to leave. But it, the timing of his departure was quite surprising because it's quite close to this year's election. So whether it's you or Anasar who, who wins, you do have a great amount of time to kind of set out your stall given that richard lennon for all his personal strength and for all his um his apparent good character and everyone says he's a gentleman should he not have left about a year ago i mean the polling just hasn't changed does it he wasn't cutting through um he wasn't landing any punches uh, left right or center why did he hang on so long and, and why did he leave it until the 11th hour to go
1: that's a, good, a really good question and maybe you should get Richard on to, to try and answer it. I mean, I, I can't read Richard's mind. I can't put words in his mouth, but the timing wasn't great. It did feel a bit abrupt um, and, and here we are. But if you look back at what he said in his own words, that you know speculation was growing about his leadership, questions about whether he was the right person, I think he reached the right conclusion and it was right. That Richard stood down um, in an ideal world. Maybe it would have happened a year ago and that would have given a new leader and a new team more time. But this isn't just about one individual. Um, We've got some fantastic people who work in the the party headquarters uh, in Glasgow and our parliamentary team as well. Jackie Bailey, as deputy leader. Um, has been fantastic actually and Elaine Smith as business manager and they are very much I suppose different different wings of the party but you know people are behind the scenes rolling up their sleeves doing the difficult work trying to if I can dare say the word professionalise and operationalise what we're doing because we have been all over the place we've been struggling for resource we've not been raising money in Scotland we lose elections we lose people we lose staff so it's, it's not been great. Um, that's not all Richard's fault. Um, but we need a, a leader who's not going to bury their head in the sand, who's going to get out there confidently to say, we have to take our message out to the country and not just reflect on Labour history, but talk about the future.
0: And how difficult is it for you? You were close to Richard. Um, momentum have endorsed you. It, it feels as if though the Labour Party is looking at the last few years and saying, well, that direction didn't work. It didn't work in Scotland. It didn't work at a UK level. The Labour Party at UK level elected Keir Starmer. They've moved to the right of Corbyn. How difficult is it for you, as, as someone who's seen as close to Richard Leonard, in an era when it looks like the Labour Party is looking to shift back to the centre, um, to say no, 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 stick with stick with that political course?
1: Well, there's 23 MSPs, and I would say we're all close. And I've I've heard and read Richard in the last many times talk about their friendship and they go back a lot longer than me so I think Anas might even be closer to Richard than I am and I know that Richard worked closer with Anas when Anas was deputy leader and Richard served on the parliament at the party's executive committee for for many many years I think over 20 years so the idea that you know I'm close to Richard I'm just as close to Richard as anyone else I've served in the shadow cabinet I think I got there on merit Because I'm good at what I do, I'm effective, I've been a a strong spokesperson on health and social care during the pandemic and I've worked constructively and I've managed to get change in the legislation so that social care workers get full pay if they have to self-isolate. I got the Scottish Government to commit to, to routine weekly testing for NHS workers and so on. But my support is coming from right across the party. Um, so you've maybe mentioned one nominee. I think that came yesterday. I think the campaign for socialism in Scotland had a meeting to, to back me, which is great. But CLPs across Scotland have backed me. Um, Unite and Unison, Trade Union, CWU and TSSA and, and lots of others. So so that's that's really great. And that's that's helped me to get the campaign up and running. Um, but we need to put factionalism Behind us. I absolutely hate it. And I hate that people get pigeonholed about who you're close to and and what camp that you're in. Like, why can't we just be Labour? Why can't we just be team Labour and have our differences, but actually not spend all our time talking about that? It's so boring when people go on about the latest NEC meeting or SEC meeting and the rule book and all of that. I mean, there, there are issues that are not right they need to be changed so disciplinary cases that rumble on for years and years and years please can we devolve that to Scottish Labour and we'll get our own house in order and we'll sort that out but I think I've shown that I can work with everybody in the party and outside the party too which um, is a strength I hope.
0: I mean I know what you mean but it it does it kind of helps the public to go Oh, right. Well, Tony Blair's on the right of the Labour Party, and if Labour chooses him after Neil Kinnock, that means they're moving in a certain direction. And I either feel good or bad about that. And if Labour chooses Jeremy Corbyn after Ed Miliband, that means they're moving in a particular direction. You know, there are different shades of the Labour Party, and there's nothing wrong with saying I'm from this part or I'm from that part. It helps the public understand... Whether the Labour Party is in tune with the public or, you know, whether a new leader from perhaps the same wing can make the case in a different way, in a more inspiring way and, and can turn people onto to it. So I know it's frustrating for politicians, but I think it helps the public go, oh, right, that's what the Labour Party is now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm clear that I'm a socialist and I'm a feminist and I'm a... The Leninist. Way well you know you've mentioned tony blair neil kinnock jeremy i've been getting this for the last couple of weeks now i keep being asked which labor man are you most like and i keep saying well i am my own woman so maybe if women were in more positions of leadership you would see that we have a different style of doing things and it's about getting the job done and putting all the nonsense and ego aside and no offense matt but you know i'm sick of all these labour men that think they're in the West Wing. And, you know, it's just taking themselves a bit too seriously. And I think when you get a room full of women, we just approach it differently because, you know, earlier on I was having a bit of a stressful episode and I went down and I just washed the floor down the kitchen and came back up the stair And it's just like, you know, that's been my approach to dealing with addiction issues, dealing with period poverty, dealing with mental health. Um, I have a very stressful day job where... the nature of it, people disclose things to me that are very personal, very serious. I'm often dealing with people when they're in crisis. You need to be resilient and focused and you have to be grounded, you have to have a sense of perspective, you know, so I'm totally in tune with the struggles that people are facing in their daily lives and that's why I think my approach to politics is so practical and focused on, you know, using your time to best effect to help people and you know, I always just try when I'm asked to make a choice about a leader or to endorse a candidate locally is at that time, who do I think is the right person? And sometimes it's often because the, the alternative's not that attractive either. So I want us to be in a place where people have hard choices to make, good choices to make. I think in this contest, both in us and I are strong candidates and have lots of good qualities. I think that's given members... A good choice to make it's not oh one's terrible and one's brilliant I think that it's it's going to be competitive.
0: It is what about the Labour Party at a UK level then in terms of where its political direction should be it's been tacking to the left since 2010 and has lost every time do you agree with the assumption that, that seems to be inherent in Keir Starmer's election as Labour leader and what the public seems to be telling Labour is we don't like it when you're really radical and, and hard left we want you to move back to the centre?
1: So from memory, because I did vote for Keir Starmer in the leadership contest, I'm pretty sure that he was committed to continuing on with the same policies. Oh and well, come on! <laughs>
0: like, <laughs> He's not the COVID continuity candidate, is he? Against no,
1: this comes down to personality, but in Scotland, I think both of us and I have said that in terms of the Scottish Labour policy platform, which our members and our movement have worked on to get us up to a point where we're almost ready to do our manifesto, and um, I don't think anyone's suggesting that oh, Richard Leonard and his policy were rubbish, we need to start again. So, you know, when, when Jeremy was talking about um, you know, post on broadband, and people thought, oh, that's radical now, everyone wants access to broadband, and we need to get Um, you know equipment into people's homes so things that were sounding a bit radical a year ago are not so radical now look I just think that um, you you need to be able to connect with people you need to do that in an emotional way Um, you need to win heads and hearts and I think you know in terms of Keir Stanmer you know he's a man of huge ability you know his approach is very forensic, and kind of scrutinising the government. We've seen him perform it at, at, at PMQs, and it's very solid. But I think what works well is you've also then got Angela Rayner, who is just so refreshing and passionate, and just clicks with people, and can talk about their experiences in a way that maybe Keir doesn't do and can't do with the same ease. So it's never about one person; um, it's about the team. And that's what I want to build in Scotland. We need to have the right message carriers for the right issues, for the right audiences. We can't have a cult of personality. And I think we've we've had tendencies of doing that, not just around Jeremy, but with other leaders in the past. And that's not healthy because it comes crashing down very, very quickly. But all the infighting we had in in recent years, that didn't help. Um, I think here's got off to a good start. And I think the fact that, that we're in a national crisis, I think that's focused the minds of people across the party that, you know, it's self-indulgent to be fighting ourselves. We have to fight for the, for the country. Um, but whatever happens in this leadership contest, I hope to have a good relationship with Keir and Angela and the team going forward.
0: And if you win, about a year ago, you said that Scottish Labour should break away and become its own party. Do you still believe that? And would you deliver that if you became leader of Scottish Labour?
1: See, you're learning that I am my own woman. I've got this habit for saying things. I like to, I like to spark a debate when I think that Scottish Labour is sleepwalking. So I did say that, but you know, I, I've said to, to colleagues, look, it's not what I want to see happen. And you know, I think there's lots of life in UK Labour yet. We do need to change. It's so the same argument around the union. We need reform. Um. So, yeah, I, I've reached out to assure colleagues, like I'm not coming in to try and dismantle the Labour Party, but come on, let's get our act together. I've given the example around disciplinary cases. You know, we've got cases in Scotland that are maybe two or three years old now where people have done, some, done something wrong, admitted it, and the case is still sitting there. It's like, come on, it damages our credibility. It's embarrassing. It shows that we're not serious. And... Um, or at least that's people's perception so again we, we need to you know bring these issues back to Scotland and have the resources to deal with it ourselves and again on policy um, I know because I asked Keir Stanmer when he came to Scotland to do a hustings for MSPs when he was looking for votes I, I was unsure because as we've discussed issues around addiction really matter to me they matter to working-class communities in Scotland and I did ask Keir what his approach would be and did he support decriminalisation and he, he does understand we had a public health approach but he wasn't on the same page as me on decriminalisation so that gave me something to think about but you can't just pick and choose on one issue and I, I hope that I can work with Keir and the team to persuade him on that I think it would be the right thing across the UK Um but I did vote for Keir um, and I don't regret that.
0: Is, is there a danger when, you know, if you say things like, and I appreciate you didn't realise you were going to be standing for the leadership quite so soon after <laughs> saying quite a sort of provocative statement. But um, isn't there a danger that if Scottish Labour people say, look, Scottish Labour should be its separate own party, that in a way that kind of feeds the SNP a bit? Because what you're saying is, as a political party, we don't want to be connected at a UK level. And therefore the logical extension is, is well, then why should Scotland as a country?
1: Yeah, well, I never said I didn't want Scottish Labour to be connected to UK Labour. I did say that that would be a relationship that was, you know, a sister party. Would be still have very close ties. But I think fundamentally, what I'm trying to address and what still needs to be addressed is that the Scottish Labour brand is damaged. It's become toxic. We've lost our traditional base. Um, younger voters coming through are not attracted to Scottish Labour and I do believe because we know this from polling and other research that that many people in the country do like our policies um but they just don't like Scottish Labour and there's been no one in recent years in the party who's really taken that on and tried to address it um and I think that's a real shame and that's something that I feel strongly about and I want to address that I don't want us to get bogged down with talking about internal party structures but you know, when you have a product that no one wants to buy, you have to do something about that.
0: <laughs> so what's, so let's say, you so Scottish Labour's a product no one wants to buy. I'm trying to think of like a, a, what the equivalent would be in the supermarket, a tin of beans or something. What, how do you get people to buy Scottish Labour then, next time they go to Scott Mid? Or I'm trying to think of other Scottish supermarkets we don't have down here.
1: Well, it is partly about showing you're under new management. It is about, sometimes apologising for things that you've got wrong and and actually showing a bit of humility um it is about changing your image it is about showing a fresh approach um whether that's through eye-catching policy or how we engage with the media and social media um we've had quite a grumpy relationship with the media in in Scotland um you know I've been put through my paces the last few weeks with journalists and you know don't particularly enjoy it sometimes i do actually but we have to do that you know we have to be willing to communicate and get the message out and we we do live in a bubble at times and i want to i want to change that so we need to have a much more open outward facing relationship with the public there's huge opportunities to do that at a grassroots level in communities we have very loyal party members and supporters who are in their communities um who are the volunteers at citizens advice who do run the food banks who do provide support who do environmental work all of that um but we don't celebrate them you know and I'd go back to i think what blair mcdougall was getting at about it can't just be usually as a man isn't it you know a party grandee comes out to say i'm going to save the nation but we've got so much talent in our party that we don't tap into. Um, So we need to talk up the leaders of the future and show who is leading in their community across the Labour Party and the trade union movement. So, you know, a lot of this isn't isn't radical, but I think it's about running an organisation well, doing that professionally, and for Scottish Labour to actually stand on its own two feet a bit more because running up to elections... You know, we reach out to London to say, right, where's the money to run this campaign? We should be campaigning all the time, every day, and we should be doing that fundraising. So maybe we'll get back to what it was like in Blantyre Public Park, where the whole community's out raising money for Labour. Wouldn't that be lovely?
0: <laughs> you mentioned social media. Your social media stuff is is brilliant, and the branding's great, and I, I want to come on to that in a minute. But you mentioned Blair McDougall. It's impossible in, in British politics to mention a Blair without thinking of a Brown. Um, and Gordon Brown is now, he's got a very grand title, he is the um, advisor to the Constitutional Commission Um, and I I totally hear your point about wanting new voices and grassroots voices Um, but can he still play a a big role in Scottish Labour politics, Gordon Brown?
1: Oh absolutely, yes, Gordon Brown is is fantastic and if you're listening Gordon, thank you for all that you do um but I'm sure Gordon that's his catchphrase
0: if he's listening he w- it will recognize any <laughs> le- any member of Labour staff that's ever met Gordon Brown I'm sure he won't mind me saying this whenever you met me would say thanks for all you do Monica he's thanks for all you do
1: and very passionate that was um, always this lovely phrase. Sure Gordon- <laughs> you've not been an activist in the Labour
0: Party until Gordon Brown has said to you thanks for all you do
1: <laughs> and Gordon was um well, well, the general election, he was out in, in my local area and, and Hamilton supporting our candidate. And, and, and he brought Jonathan Ashworth with him too. And, and that was great. It was really appreciated. But I'm sure Gordon will also recognise that we need to grow the Labour Party. We need to have a, a pipeline of new people coming through. And we also need to make sure that the leader of Scottish Labour and the leadership team of the party um, needs to be front and centre. Um, sometimes leaders can get overshadowed by the leaders of the past, now I'm not saying that Gordon would want that to happen but you know when, when Scottish Labour's in third place and is struggling for um, coverage both broadcast and print then we, we have to really focus like how do we, I think that, that was difficult for Richard because it didn't always seem comfortable doing media talking about himself and we didn't really get to see the man that Richard is you know Richard never had a bad word to say about anyone he was respected across the party but times it was just so serious and we didn't really get to see what Richard was like Um, so yes there's there's space for for previous prime ministers and and leaders but I, I wanted to see the party showing our modern side as well, that we are very much future-looking, not just, you know, our best days are behind us. It's about showing that the best days are still to come. And, you know, today we're going to find out who who the members have chosen to be their candidates for the regional lists and so on. So we need to showcase all these excellent candidates that are coming through.
0: I guess it's just, with Gordon Brown, it's, he polls so well in Scotland that it's kind of irresistible. He's kind of like a star... Striker, isn't he? I mean, to, we talked about the other Lennon at the start, Neil Lennon and Celtic. He's kind of like, he's like a Van Hoydonk or a De Canio, isn't he? You know, he's he's a kind of well-respected, well-remembered. He'll always poll well in, in Scotland and other parts of the UK, Gordon, that if Scottish Labour has this kind of star, I guess it's irresistible not to use him. But j- just on the, the burden of leadership, and I realise I've kept you for longer than I promised I would, so I'll, I'll wind up now, but... Um, Will you feel comfortable then, let's say you win this time or if you eventually become a leader at some point in the future, perhaps even prime minister, who knows, or first minister or, you know, your, your career has already gone so far so quickly. Um, would you feel comfortable in that spotlight and the, perhaps the way that Richard Leonard might not have done? Are you are you prepared for an, an element of intrusion, an element of expectation that you've always got to be polite, you've always got to be nice, you've always got to have an answer, that there'll be so much focus on you as a, an individual and not just on your politics?
1: Well, I know what the job entails, I've worked with Labour Party leaders, um, you know, I'm already in the spotlight in the Scottish Parliament doing a very serious job on the front bench, so this was not a decision that was taken lightly and I want to lead the Scottish Labour Party, I want us to stop losing, I want us to start winning again and it's a long-term project and yes, um, I want to be Scottish Labour's First Minister in the Scottish Parliament um, but you know, it's not through some magical ability that I have. I, I want to be able to, to bring people in to the Labour Party. The tent has to get bigger, Matt. Um, it's not big enough. I wouldn't make jokes about pandas and phone boxes or anything else, but you know, people have noticed that Scottish Labour um, has been shrinking and, you know, we need to do something about that. And, you know, I've asked party members um, just to look at my record... And to look at what I've done with very little resource and very little backing. And that's the kind of leader that I I want to be because when I look at some of our candidates um, that are coming through, they've got a huge amount of of life experience outside politics. Um, But if it's anything like it was for me in 2016, you don't really get a lot of guidance or support or resources to run your, your campaign. So I just think there's so much that we can do to do differently, but we need to get Scottish Labour out of third place. We need to stop an SNP majority because that will be bad for Scotland. Um, And I just think we need to have more ambition. I... um, you know I can't help but read about myself because there's obviously coverage in this campaign but it keeps coming up that I'm the less experienced one and don't have enough experience and you know oh she's got potential for five ten years time and I just read all that I think it's a load of rubbish. I was listening earlier today um like I do quite a lot to Taylor Swift the man and that, that says a lot <laughs> about about this contest and in politics in, in general and I remember watching Taylor Swift on Netflix um, talked about how for a long time she didn't talk about uh, politics at all or give an opinion. She was scared to give an opinion on Trump and her people were telling her, don't give an opinion, it's too polarising. And I just think this has been the story um, of being a woman. It's just like you're just expected to behave in a certain way. Don't be too opinionated, don't be too bossy. Don't put yourself forward or you're too ambitious. And I think we just have to get more women into leadership roles to normalize that to mainstream that and and not to tell women you're not that I mean my goodness you get to the age of 40 and you're still being told you've not got enough experience it's just it's just daft
0: Scotland has led the way on female leadership with Nicola Sturgeon, Cassia Dugdale, Ruth Davidson, and others. So there's 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 already been huge progress made. Um, the point yeah, about that, you know, in the inexperience. Look
1: at the sexism uh, that they still face. I mean, well,
0: indeed. The best um, advice I ever
1: got from cares was to learn how to use mute and block on Twitter. <laughs> and you know we've we've seen the, the terrible things that were said about Nicola Sturgeon. It's just pure misogyny, and Ruth Davidson too, who also is a lesbian in public life, so it's disgusting. So actually as women, and Theresa May also, so I think there's that solidarity between women, regardless of your political views, and of course in the Scottish Parliament we've never had a woman of colour elected, Um, and it really saddens me that the Scottish Labour Party has not championed BAME women enough, disabled women enough, working class women enough, LGBT women enough, so we've got all these debates rumbling on our politics is certainly not as inclusive as it needs to be
0: but what's a great advert for Scottish Labour the two candidates for for the leadership two really strong candidates are a woman and a and a, and a Pakistani British man you know this is this is a really with just two candidates it's a really diverse election
1: absolutely and I hope that the Scottish Labour Party feels proud of both of us I think both of us bring Energy commitment, track record. Um, you know, we're both Labour to our. Fingertips and toes, you know. We we are labour, um, and I think Anas and I have spoke to each other more in the last few <laughs> days and weeks than we have in a in a lifetime because we're going through this together. Um, and every time something, I like, think, yeah, you know, we're doing hustings on Zoom where we can't see the members, we can only see each other and the chair and I keep saying, and we can't keep talking to ourselves, and that's exactly what we're doing. So, you know, I sent them a, a WhatsApp the other day. to say, oh, that was exhausting. This is a, a I made a special effort I upgraded from my pyjama bottoms to my jeans and here's these slippers on with these suits so so again we're trying not to take ourselves too seriously but I've experienced misogyny and harassment and I know what it's like to be put down as a woman and an ass has experienced him and his family not just when he's been in politics but of course when he was growing up and he's talked about it openly about the threats and the violence and the horrible horrible racism that he's experienced and and it shows how far we're still to go to become the fairer country that we all want to live in Um, and I think that's again it sounds boring, but the two of us have tried to be positive. We've tried to talk each other up. We would ask in a couple of Sunday papers to, to write questions for each other and to say what animal are they most like and just laugh things. And it, just, it, become, it became so silly, but I think there was a really nice photo appeared in one of the papers last week, and uh, the photographer had caught an ass and I in Parliament over a week ago just chatting socially distance, of course in the chamber and the two of us were laughing and probably out of the group we are the gigglers we're always laughing and joking when we're not meant to be so whatever happens absolutely the two of us have worked together um you know i would hope if i'm leader that Anas ass would want to be part of my shadow cabinet and eventual cabinet and, and likewise i think he's actually said he would want me and his top team so there you go we have unity already it's 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 quite uh it's quite something
0: well on, on behalf of the um the satirists uh, and i'm sure i speak for broadcasters and journalists and podcasters everywhere it's, it's really disappointing to see a labour leadership election conducted in such a spirit of friendship I'm and sorry, harmony not I'm giving so us sorry. enough material monica
1: i know we've got a few weeks to go but no the two of us are on our best behavior um so i'm so sorry
0: <laughs> well, monica it's been an absolute treat talking to you thank you so much for coming on
1: Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having
0: me on. Pleasure. Well, there you go, Monica Lennon. And what a shame that Scottish Labour is breaking with all tradition and conducting this leadership election in a civil and friendly manner. There's still a few weeks for that to change, but by the sounds of things from what Monica was saying, her and Anna Salwar are getting on very well, which I suppose we should all be grateful for uh, this year of all years. But it was great to talk to Monica about her period poverty bill and that just what a huge personal achievement that is for her. But for the activists who listen to this podcast, a real lesson for how you build coalitions, and obviously this has been a campaign by grassroots organisations all around the world and particularly in Scotland for a long time, um so you, that coalition of, of campaigners, of, of politicians across all sorts of different divides, the constitutional question, wings within parties, ideological divides, how crucial Jackson Carlow and the Scottish Tories were, how Monica convinced the SNP to come on board. It's just a real lesson. And often that lesson is that it's through our democratic institutions that you can really change people's lives. And it's often... Politics is often seen as a zero-sum game, but what Monica's shown is you might be losing national elections, but there are still ways to change the world for the better through Holyrood or Westminster or local authorities, wherever that power resides. So that in itself is an inspirational tale. And, of course, it'll be interesting to see what the future direction of Scottish Labour is. It's something that, for listeners in Scotland, is far more pertinent. But to those of us who, who follow politics as closely as I do... It's been fascinating seeing Scottish Labour be on the winning side of that referendum in 2014 and then be in a total tailspin and funk since about where to stand, particularly on the constitutional question. So whoever wins out of Monaco Lennon, and Anna Sawar, that is a real area of interest, the fate of Scottish Labour. Now, it may be too late for the May elections if they happen, um, but, the, but the future direction of the UK Labour Party is, is of course, intrinsically linked to the fate of the scottish labour party and what happens there so this is this goes far beyond the borders of scotland and just anyway for those of us that are interested in politics it's a fascinating case study of how quickly politics can change of how incumbent parties who look totally secure are then swept away uh, as labour have been in scotland but not completely away um so let's see <clears throat> let's see what happens to the scottish labour party uh, excuse me you can email the show political at gmail.com thank you for all your emails particularly about the John Sweeney episode which I was delighted a few of you got in touch with me to say that it was two hours long <laughs> not that that doubt was in fact but that they could have listened to more and um, which just goes to show that um if you get the time and it's if you know if you're if the interview still has a, a way to go beyond the hour that um that that is something that can happen and that uh, you don't think oh God that ran out of steam because I didn't think it did. Towards the end, I was still like, oh, I could probably do another 10 hours with John Sweeney. So there you go. Um, I, there may be another episode of this podcast this week as well. Uh, I do try and, I've tried to get in a bit of a rhythm just for you really to to record them towards the end of the week and put them out towards the end of the week just so that you know that that's when the podcast is coming. I just presume that's helpful for people to get in the habit of it coming out on a particular day or roughly at a particular time. But I also think, um, and correct me if I'm wrong by emailing me at pod... Um can't believe I forgot my own email address at politicalpartypodcast.gmail.com but I also think if I get the chance to record more than one episode a week then why not and hopefully that's something that uh, you would appreciate and listen to we're about to find out I guess I mean during the election I, I put out more than one a week um, I did them daily that feels like a completely different world now. Anyway, I'm just chatting to myself here. Um, thank you for downloading this. Tell your friends and family about it. Um, don't forget, you can review the podcast on iTunes. I'm not sure if you can on other podcast platforms, but do try. Um, and if you have Apple podcasts and you listen to this on an Apple device, then please, just, if only to shut me up. Because you'll be sat there thinking, you always ask this, I never get round to doing it. Well then, there's one way, there's one sure way... If everyone who listened to this podcast left a review on iTunes, and I don't want to jump the gun, but I presume you would be broadly positive, then I wouldn't have to keep asking. So, sorry to sound like a, a parent, but there we are. Um, well, thank you for downloading it. I, I've, I'm prattling on now. Um, and thank you to Monica for being such a brilliant guest. And I will plan to see you later this week. ta <laughs>